want you to open your Bible over to Ephesians chapter 5. So we continuing the series, I Will Build My Church. That is what the book of Ephesians is about, Jesus Christ building his church and how he goes about that. But as Pastor Dave mentioned in the announcements, that this is kind of a little two, three-week series, mini-series within Ephesians, having to do with essential truths for successful marriage. Actually, this will be the last week on marriage, but next week we will be talking about the home as well. With that in mind, I've never heard of anybody who goes into marriage wanting to have problems so you can eventually get a divorce. I mean, that would be insane. You know, let's get married so we can fight and have a divorce in the end. I mean, you'd have to be a nut to have that kind of thought. But marriages that are built on nothing but people's opinions are asking for many troubles down the road. Reminds me of a uh, humorous story I read recently, or not recently, a while back in Reader's Digest. One woman wrote in and said this. She said, the speaker at our women's club was lecturing on marriage and asked the audience how many of us wanted to mother our husbands. One member in the back row raised her hand. You do want to mother your husband? The speaker asked. Mother, the woman echoed. I thought you said smother. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's not a good idea. It is the Lord himself who gives us the power to become the right marriage partner. Marriage is supposed to be a duet, not a duel. And it is through the filling or control of the Holy Spirit that we can become the right marriage partner. This is why God's plan for marriage is between two saved people who are submitted to the Lord with their lives. Now that's his ideal, but that is his ideal. That is his plan. And I know lots of people are getting married around the world and most of them are not saved. And most of them, if they are saved, are not dedicated to Christ. But not having things right is one of the reasons we experience the problems we do in marriage. See, God's word, as we saw, does not change, as we heard today in song. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, this is why it talks about in verse 18 and verse 21, these truths, vital truths that God has given us before he ever gets into the instructions about wives and husbands and parents and children and dads in chapter 6. Here in Ephesians 5.18, it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Only a Christian can be under the control of the Holy Spirit. A believer, this is for the believer. Remember, Paul is writing to save people here in the book of Ephesians. He's not telling lost people be filled with the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. Now, the word filled means under the control of. And God wants us as believers to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, you're also at that point going to be under the control of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the Word of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who inspired it. And therefore, that is the direction he's going to take us. Now listen, no person who's under the control of the Holy Spirit while they're under the control of the Spirit, is going to do something contrary to the Word of God. Don't say you're a Spirit-filled believer and you're living in sin. That's not the way God takes you. 
He always takes us to holiness, godliness, purity. This is what the scriptures teach. And so the prerequisite for us being what we need to be is we need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Along with that, verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit, then I will submit myself to my wife in the way that God has instructed me as a husband to submit myself. A foundational truth for a successful marriage is that both the husband and the wife are in submission to God's plan. And as I am growing as a Christian closer to the Lord, and my wife is growing as a Christian closer to the Lord, we are then going to be growing closer to each other. This is the way, this is wonderful marriage triangle. God is on top and he always needs to be there. He has the preeminence. But as I grow as a believer and she grows as a believer, we will grow together and we will grow closer together. We will become more godly. We will become more like Christ. And if both of us are becoming more like Christ, then we're both becoming more unified. We're being tuned to the same instrument, you might say. God has designed us. He can't make a mistake, and his will is perfect. The plan or the principle of submission is a perfect principle. Our problem is not what God says. Our problem is our flesh. It is our sin nature. It is our old nature. It rationalizes. It lies. It cheats. It steals. It's selfish. Verse 22, as we saw last week, I won't spend much time on this, but it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, a wife submits to her husband because God is the one who's told her to submit to her husband. It's the plan of God. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And of course, the only exception of that is if your husband wants you to do something that is contrary to Scripture. Okay, you don't, you don't obey if he wants you to do something that's sinful, that's something that's wrong. Why? Because God would never have you do that. That's why. And so our allegiance first is to the Lord. Ladies, if you have an imperfect husband, because he's imperfect, there's no reason not to submit to his leadership. You submit to his leadership because you're not perfect either. And God is the one who told you to do that. And this is very important. Very important. Now, we talked a little bit from First Peter last week towards the wise. We're not going to do that. We shift to husbands. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at the language. Christ loved the church and gave himself. Do you see it there? The first responsibility a husband has towards his wife, directly towards his wife, okay, is this. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. A woman who is in submission, and that means under the authority of, under obedience to her husband, I know that can make a woman vulnerable, and a lot of women say, well, there's no way I can do that because you don't know my husband, he, blah, 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 you know, a lot of things, okay, but here's the truth of it. I can't control your marriage, but God can control both of you if you'll let him. And this is the key. For a breakdown in the marriage, that's not God's fault. That's man's fault. God's plan is perfect. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't bumps along the road because we all have flaws. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. 
but there's remedies for that. You go to your spouse, okay? You confess that to them. You talk about it. You tell them that you're sorry. You ask them to forgive you. And then this is how things are remedied and you come back together. Anyone who practices God's plan, let me put it this way, no one who practices God's plan ends up in divorce court. If the husband and the wife are practicing God's plan, you will not end up in divorce court. You'll end up having a good marriage, at least a good one, if not a very good one. A husband is to love his wife as Christ also loves the church. While it is true that no man completely succeeds in doing this, and I'll show you why in just a minute, it is also true that we are still commanded to do it. Men, do we understand that? You know, I've run into Christians down through the years who will say, well, that's, it can't mean that. You know, like, be ye holy as I am holy, over in First Peter chapter 1. Well, I, I can't be holy. And therefore, what they do is they, because they can't be perfect in holiness, they take that as an excuse to be carnal. See, that shows you how wicked we are that we will make excuses with the word of God instead of saying, you know what, I'm a mess. I am going to come and surrender to the Lord and have him help me be what I need to be. And and are we going to be perfect? We're not going to be perfect. But these are the goals that God has set for us. These are the standards he wants us to aim for by his grace. He's the one who provides the power to do it, and we do it by faith. We still need to be committed, even though we will fail. We all fail, including me. In the flesh, it is impossible for a man to do this to the extent that he needs to. This is another reason why we as believers are commanded to be filled or under the control of the Holy Spirit, because when he is empowering us, we can do what we would otherwise find it very difficult to do. Now here in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. That word love there, there's many Greek words for the word love. This is agape or agapeo, and it's the highest form of love. It's the word that describes God himself. Now, I usually don't go down the road I'm about to go down to, but it is, I think, significant and unlocks a lot of the power that we find in verse 25. This word love, now here it is a verb, not a noun. And this word is in the, uh, the language, in the Greek language. This word is in the, written in the present tense. It is in the active voice. And it is in the imperative mood. Now, why do I tell you that? To impress you? No. I tell you that because this is significant to our mission men as husbands. One source says, now I'll get back to that in just a minute, but one source says, having to do with this word love, it says it is a love of the mind, the reason, and the choice. Simply stated, agape love is a sacrificial love. That is a love that cares, a love that gives, and works for another person's good. It is a selfless Love. Agape love is a selfless love. How many marriages nowadays are built on selflessness? Very few. 
As a matter of fact, a lot of people go into marriage thinking they're doing something noble when they say, well, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. I give 50%, my wife gives 50%, we kind of meet in the middle, and it's all good. Well, number one, no, it's not all good, because <laughs> that's not love. Love says, I will give whatever I need to give. I will love sacrificially. You might say, well, what if that cramps your lifestyle? Or what if you run into things you don't want to do? Well, nowadays, what do people do? They say, you know what? This isn't working out. We're not compatible. I got news for you. No two sinners are compatible. That's why we have salvation. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the new nature. That's why we have the Word of God and the grace of God. Because no two sinners are compatible. No marriage... Even the best marriage takes work. It takes your challenge as a person to be what God has called you to be. And this is especially true when we're talking to men. How is this agape, selfless, sacrificial love, how is this lived out? Well, this is where we get to these issues with the word love here in Ephesians chapter 5. He is to love his wife, okay? I told you it's an imperative. It's in the imperative mood. That means it's a command, okay? A husband is to love his wife in obedience to God's command. You know what, folks? We cheapen this when we simply make this an emotional or hormone-driven decision. It's imperative. It is not a suggestion, but a command. This does away with reactionary living, Such as, well, I would love my wife, but she, I would love my wife, but, but, but. God says, no, you're commanded to love your wife. You know what? A lot of guys, this is on a plane that they're not even aware of because they're so reactionary, flesh-driven. It is a call for men to be men. It is a call for men to lead. It is a call for us to be spiritual Guys, it is a call to us for a lifelong commitment. Oh, how I wish I could get this through the heads. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but just to understand the reality of this when I am doing marriage premarital counseling with people, to get them to understand, listen, there is no back door. When you take the vow, and it's a vow, it's a promise, till death do us part, there's no back door. If you want to build a back door to that, well, I'll leave if she doesn't do this or that, or he doesn't do this or that. Listen, don't get married. And by the way, don't live together either. You know, it's interesting, the polls and the all the information and the data, and people say, well, you know what? Good news, good news. Uh, uh, There's less divorces. Divorces are going down. Do you know why so many, you know why divorces are going down? People aren't getting married. If you're not married, you don't divorce. No, they're just living together. Folks, God says, no, you don't do that. That's wrong. That's contrary to his word. The Bible calls that fornication. Listen, you get married and you're in it Till death do us part, in sickness or in health, richer or poorer, it's permanent. And if you don't want to make that commitment, then don't get married. Walk away. Because that is what marriage is about. There's commitment. You talk to any couple who's been married for many decades, 
believers, I'm talking, talk to believers especially, who have been married for decades, who are still with each other, still committed to each other, and they'll talk, and they'll tell you. It's an issue of commitment in this. Need to move on from that one. That's why, by the way, we have our bi-monthly Bible study called Men of God. We are looking, we are learning how, how does God want us to be as men of God? Because, listen, as the men go in a society, that's how the society goes. Do you understand that? Do you understand the importance of this? Because a man of God will be a godly man because he's a man of God. He's living by biblical principles. God's changing his life and molding him into the man God wants him to be. If he's a man of God, he's going to understand God's will for him. He's going to be challenged to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's going to take the responsibility. He'll be the head of the home, the loving leader, loving leader in the home. He'll be what he needs to be. He'll be the dad he needs to be. He won't be an absentee dad. And yet you've got so many children today, a huge percentage of children today growing up in homes where they don't even know who their dad is. We wonder why our country is breaking down because of the broken home, because of the broken marriage, because of the broken life. And by the way, let me say this. There's no excuse. You might say, well, I was raised in a home. I was dysfunctional. My dad left. My parents divorced and all this. So I don't know how to be a godly husband. Oh, that that gets you off the hook? It doesn't get you off the hook. Why aren't you coming out to men of God? Why aren't you learning? I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm, listen, I'm burdened about this because this is how it works in society, folks. A breakdown of the home leads to a breakdown in the country, leads to a breakdown in the church, by the way. This is serious. It's a lifelong commitment. Okay. A husband is to love his wife first in obedience to God's command. It's an imperative. Secondly, he's to love her at all times. Why do I say that? This is written in the present tense. He is the lover now, he's the lover today, he's the lover tomorrow, he's the lover in the future. Remember, love means to sacrificially give of yourself. You're doing what you're doing for the benefit of your wife. You're not doing to get, you're doing because you're giving, because that's the way God is. He gave, he gives. Present tense. This means to give of himself constantly. That's the idea. Regardless of when it is, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's what present tense has to do with. If it means at all times, then that means even when there might be a conflict going on. And by the way, that many times is the difference between a good marriage and a bad one. It is active voice, which means he personally needs to be doing it. Love is usually an action word. It is not just a feeling. And third, he is to give sacrificially. This is the highest form of love and describes God himself. His love for us is sacrificial. That's what agape love is. A husband's love for his wife should be a dedicated love, a devoted love. It is putting her needs before your own. This love is best understood, of course. First and foremost, it's shown in the gospel, isn't it? Hold your place here in Ephesians. Look with me to 1 John chapter 4. It says in verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God. Okay, manifested. 
put on display, shown. You want to see what it means, what love is all about? Look at God's love, is what he's saying. In this was manifested the love of God, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. That's agape love. He didn't respond to us loving him. He simply says, I love you. But Lord, don't you understand that? What a dumb statement. Lord, don't you understand that the vast majority of mankind is going to reject you and curse you and spit in your face and even nail you to a cross? Yes, but I love you that much. Guys, that is the kind of love we're supposed to have towards our wife. It keeps on giving. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Look at verse 11 now. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, yes, one another in the body of Christ and the family of God, but take that and bring that into the marriage relationship. That one-way sacrificial love. Oh, it's great when your wife reciprocates, when husband and wife are reciprocating one towards another. One is loving, the other one's loving back. One is loving, the other one's loving. That's great. But it's a matter of the will. Men are to take the lead on this. When a husband lives this kind of life, he is surrendering himself to his wife. And as he does this, he is actually surrendering himself to the Lord because the Lord is the one who said to do it. This is biblical submission for the husband. Now, last week we talked about wives submitting to their husbands in everything. Ladies, if your husband is following God's will for his life, He is giving of himself to you, and it's on a regular basis. This is the way he's living his life. This is a mindset he has. What can I do? What can I do to help? What can I do to assist? What can I do to show her? Secondly, though, back to Ephesians chapter 5, and this is an area where A lot of people neglect this, and I think this is an important one. Number two, the husband is to lovingly lead her spiritually. You've heard me say it many times. A husband is to be the loving leader. Loving leader. Agape loving, and then that being the driver, lead. Now, a husband who is lovingly, biblically lovingly leading his wife is not going to take advantage of the word of God in her life, where it says submit, he's not going to take advantage of that and make her a slave of some kind and treat her wrong. No, he's going to treat her very right. If you are the husband, you have a mandate from God to be the spiritual leader in your marriage and home. But remember, you can't lead your family where you haven't been yourself first. A leader is the one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. We need to be that in our families and in our marriages. Ephesians 5.26, it says, um, well, verse 25 talks about loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without 
blemish. Now, maybe a husband who doesn't understand this passage will look at verse 27 and get frustrated and defeated because, Pastor, wait a minute, as we get older, we are going to have wrinkles. How do I get rid of the wrinkles in my wife? It's not talking about those kind of wrinkles. It's talking about spiritually. It's talking about morally. It's an issue of godliness. In verse 26 and 27, I see the Lord very concerned about the spiritual well-being of the church. Why? Because of his sacrificial love for her. And a husband ought to be very concerned about the spiritual well-being of his wife because of his sacrificial love for her. Through his love, he is lovingly leading the church through his word. And the husband should do exactly the same thing. Now, let me tell you where we're at in society today. In most marriages, even Christian marriages, the wife is the one who's more spiritually minded than the husband. It's just the opposite. Now, I mean, both of them should be, but she's in a sense leading the home in spirituality. Many situations, the wife will come to church, husband doesn't come to, no, 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 no. He's got his book of excuses and why he doesn't come. Here's the truth of it. You're either embarrassed and therefore you hide, or else you're in rebellion and you simply refuse to take the lead. Not a good place to be. And so what happens? Frustrated wives, they say, okay, I'll take the lead. I'll be the spiritual leader here. I'll be the one in charge. But that's not the solution. The solution is for the man to step up to the plate. Now, I know that that is just a difficult situation. But why is it difficult? God didn't make it difficult. It's man refusing to accept responsibility that's made it difficult. Do we understand? If there's a flaw in this, guys, I'm just talking as, as uh, trying to uh, communicate God's word with this. But if there's a breakdown in husband and wife going forward and doing what they should do, if there's a breakdown there, it shouldn't be because I'm not lovingly leading my wife. Here's the truth of it. If the husband is what he ought to be, wives, I think most of the time, will follow their husbands. If he is a loving leader, not a dictator who leads, but a loving leader who is sacrificial and gives to her. That motivates the wife. It helps her respect him. It helps her respect him. This is by being a godly example, sharing God's word and making decisions based on biblical truth, not your flesh as the husband. Okay, one Bible teacher said this, the Christian husband and wife should pray together and spend time in the word so that they might know God's will for their individual lives and also for their home. Yes, that's exactly the way it should be. You want harmony on these things? How are you going to have harmony unless you're communicating? Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Okay? Listen, husbands who treat their wives poorly are in fact treating themselves poorly. How is that? Because you are one. That's why. You're one. Husbands who are kind 
and sacrificial to their wives are kind to themselves as well. How you treat your wife is how you treat, ultimately it's going to be how you're treating yourself. By the way, we reap what we sow, right? Now, whereas Ephesians 5 here tells us what to do, 1 Peter chapter 3 gives us some ways to do that. So I want you to turn over there now, 1 Peter chapter 3, and here are some practical ways to put this together. You might say, well, boy, this is very convicting. I'm ashamed of the, of, the, of the way I've been. I've really dropped the ball. I really haven't been what I should be. Okay, maybe that's so. That happens. We all fail. We all fail. What's the answer to that? To go hide in a man cave? Is that the answer? No, you know what we have to do if we're men? You know what we need to do, folks? Guys, we need to confront it. Confront the failure. And get help. Get counsel. Get in the Word of God, okay? Go to the wife. Confess it to her. Confess the failures. Ask her, listen, will you pray for me that I can be the godly husband God wants me to be towards you, that I could be the godly father God wants me to be towards the kids? I said, well, I'm just too embarrassed to do that. No, you're thinking only about yourself. You're not loving. Loving thinks about the other person's well-being. If that's what you need, then that's what you should do. Let me tell you something. Your wife will think much more of you if you, quote-unquote, forgive the pun, man up. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, referring to the wife, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Let me give you some very, right in this one verse, general ways, some general ways to love her. And when I say general, I don't mean insignificant. I mean, these cover a lot of ground, okay? These are general principles. They're big. First one is this. It's right there in the first part of the verse. Dwell with them. Stop right there. (laughs) What is that? That's time. That's time. When you got married, did anything change in your marriage as far as you spending time with your buddies and stuff? Is your wife just an accessory into it? You know, okay, I've got my... I've got my wife and I've got the physical aspect of my life taken care of, so to speak. Everything's good now. I'll just continue living the way I was. And, but now she's part of the picture. And, you know, no, wait a minute. No, no. The most important human being in your life as a husband should be your wife. Your wife. Everybody's behind that. This is the way it should be. That tells her she's important to you. It doesn't mean simply being in the same house by the way, or simply being married. It is focused time with your wife and her alone. It means quality time, not just time, but quality time. Take her out for a date, out to dinner. You can't afford to go out to eat, go out for dessert. You might say, well, nowadays I can't even afford an ice cream cone at McDonald's. Well, who knows what if you'll even get an ice cream cone if you go through drive-through at McDonald's nowadays. But do something you like doing together. Maybe go for a walk. You like going for walks together? Do it. Plan it. Do it. It's, well, it's, it's too cold outside right now. So is there nowhere else to walk? Go to the mall. Walk around. I say, well, I don't like going around. Too many people. Have you gone there lately during the week? There's hardly any stores left in the mall. That's a great place to go walking. Walk and talk. Hold hands. 
Oh, I could never do that. Why not? What are you ashamed of? You ashamed of that? My wife and I, we go out, we hold hands. If we go walking, we hold hands until they get sweaty. And then we take a break for a while until the hands dry off. What's it tell? It tells your wife that you love her. It's one way to do it. Remember this, focus time. Take her out, okay? Guys, she is your life partner. When you got married, it's till death do you part. Well, I don't like the way she is. Best way to change your wife is to change yourself. Why? God has wired them to follow, not lead, to follow. But you know what? It's hard for a wife to follow somebody who doesn't want to lead. Where's he going? He's going nowhere. I'm supposed to follow him, but he's not going anywhere. Dwell with them first, but not only that, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, the knowledge here, I did some word study on this this week. This can apply to knowing the Word of God, but it also can apply to knowing your wife. It is probably the two together (laughs) in that we learn from God's Word how to be, and then we apply it to our marriages. We live according to our marriage, according to the Scriptures. Men, we must try to be good observers and also good listeners. Listen, I know that can be a challenge at time, but to be a good listener, that means you have to stop everything you're doing and work at it. Sometimes you have to work at it. And sometimes it isn't that your wife wants you to give her a solution. She just wants you to listen. Because we think in terms of problem. There, taken care of. Problem, taken care of. What is that? Another problem? Taken care of. Those of you who are laughing know the reality of it. (laughs) Quit laughing. According to knowledge. Okay? I don't know how good of English it is, but here's the truth, folks. You know, guys, we need to learn our wives. I'd say that's impossible. I'll tell you what, though. God will bless you if you try. You'll never learn her completely. And by the way, she'll never learn you completely. Next one, giving her honor. Do you see that in verse 7? Giving honor unto the wife is a weaker vessel. Giving honor, it means to give respect. Listen, this word, it's actually even translated, referring to Jesus in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. It's a word that says he is precious. He is precious. You need to see your wife as precious. To prize, to esteem, to count as precious, to give special treatment Two, this is just the opposite of cutting her down. I know in the workplace, you, you'll hear it by people, these, these guys who work some places and they're like cavemen. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, my old lady this and my old lady that. What a disgrace. You wonder why your marriage is a mess? You talk about her that way? Never talk about your wife in a negative way in public. Never do that. You're not doing yourself or her any favors. Onto the weaker vessel, the next one. Women are usually more fragile than men, both physically and emotionally. This doesn't mean inferior, but simply different. When a husband and a wife are in harmony, it brings a balanced approach to the issues of life. Listen, with with this, this thing about understanding, all right, um, You ought to talk about everything. You ought to talk about the things that need to be decided on. Guys, just don't do this alone. Bring your wife into it. She was given to you by God as a helper because we need help. We need help. 
And God has provided that in the wife as being heirs together. Next point. There needs to be harmony in the relationship. This takes time, it takes understanding, and it takes respect. When this is lacking, it affects everything, including the prayer life of the couple. Can I say this today? Men, do you pray with your wife? Or can you pray with your wife? You can. Or is, are things so hostile between you that you don't feel like you can? Well, you need to get that taken care of. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 31, For this cause... And by the way, let me about praying with your wife, okay? We started this years ago. It's been a blessing in our lives. By the way, whenever we are together and we find out about a hardship or difficulty somebody's going through, I got an email yesterday about somebody. I don't even remember where the person lives, okay? He came over our ministry. He's been listening and watching our program. And the man said he had two prayer requests, Two prayer requests. And by the way, I already told Christy, put this on the prayer list for Wednesday night. Two prayer requests. One of them is that his family would be saved. He has a lot of lost relatives. And the other one is this, that God would give him a wife. He's a single man. And he's asking for prayer that God would give him a wife. How can you not pray for somebody like that? So what did we do? As soon as I read it to my wife, we stopped and we prayed for him, okay? Now, is that good for your marriage or is that going to hurt your marriage? It's good for your marriage. Your heirs together, you're one, you're united, you're in harmony, you see? Isn't that what everybody wants? You want harmony in your relationship? Can you pray together? Yes, you, you can pray. You ought to pray. We pray every night together. And by the way, as I mentioned just the other night at Men of God this last week, There is something about when you're both praying out loud, holding hands, and one of the things you're praying for is for your spouse, out loud, at the throne of grace, and she's there too. You're not going to lie, hopefully. And then she does the same for you. Is that going to hurt your marriage? It's only going to help your marriage. Ephesians 5.31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. There you go. Verse 33 gives you the needs of both the husband and wife in the marriage relationship. Simply put, men need respect more than anything else. Men need to be respected, ladies. That's their greatest need. Well, I thought it was. No, that's not it. Respect. And wives need to be loved. They need to be loved. Love and respect. There you go. That's it. Love and respect. This is so incredibly important. Go with me over to John chapter 3. Perhaps you're here today, and, or maybe you're watching, and you're saying you know what, I just feel awful about this, or I feel like a total failure, or I, whatever. Friend, let's just get down to the foundation here. You cannot be what God has called you to be if you're not saved. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to trust Him as your Savior. 
Let me illustrate it. This hand representing you and me. My wallet representing our sin. Why do we have marriage problems? Why do we have war? Why do we have killing, hatred, jealousy, murder, strife, envy? It's because we're sinners. We're sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. You cannot go to heaven with any sin. You have to be sinless to get in. None of us are. Our sin separates us from God. If we die with our sin, the Bible says we're going to spend an eternity separated from God in conscious torment. That's what hell is. God doesn't want that for anybody, but that is the, w- the wages of sin is death, and that's what it means. Good works will not pay for sin because the Bible says the only payment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that we are saved by God's grace. That's his unmerited kindness. Because of what Christ did on the cross, God can save us by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. No amount of good works will take away sin. Death is the only payment. But if we do it ourselves, we'll be lost forever. God says, I so love you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, this hand representing Jesus, When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He made that complete payment for us. He was buried and three days later rose from the grave. And notice what it says, that whosoever believeth in him, believes what? That he is the savior. He's the payment for sin. He died for you is what it's getting at. He was sacrificed for your sins. When you trust in him that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, He says, you will not perish, go to hell, but you have that moment, everlasting life. Everlasting life. Once you have it, it's forever. If you're bad, it doesn't forfeit it. Remember, the bad you're yet to do, Jesus paid for that on the cross. I know I'm going to heaven because I know I can't go to hell. Why? There's no sin to send me there. It's all been taken care of through the blood of Christ. If you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will save you. He'll give you everlasting life. Would you do that? That's where real life begins, is when you trust in Christ. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.